Our Old Testament portion today picks up in 1 Chronicles chapter 9. And yes, we still have a few more names, but then I think we're finished. Verse 1. So all Israel was recorded in the genealogies, and these are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. All right. So why promises lost? Why are the promises lost? Because of a breach of faith. Why do Christians lose the promises of God today? Because of a breach of faith. Now, what does New Living Translation say? New Living Translation says, because they were unfaithful to the Lord. Now, the first to dwell again in their possessions, in their cities, were Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. Now, the first to dwell again. This is the return. And notice it's called their possessions, because this is something God gave them. The first to return would be the spiritual leadership. And some of the people of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, lived in Jerusalem. All right, so people from all across, all across the, all of the tribes, they all came to live in Jerusalem. Uthai, the son of Aminahud, the son of Amri, the son of Imri, son of Bani, from the sons of Perez, the son of Judah. And of the Shilonites, Asiah the firstborn and his sons, and of the sons of Zerah, Jeul, and their kinsmen, 690. Of the Benjaminites, Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Hodabia, the son of Hasanua. Ebeniah, the son of Jororam, Ella, the son of Uzi, the son of Mikri, and Meshulam, the son of Shephathiah, the son of Raul, the son of Ibnijah and their kinsmen according to their generations, 956. All these were heads of their fathers' houses according to their fathers' houses. Of the priests, Jedediah, Jehoriab, and Jachin. And Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Bariath, the son of Ahitab, the chief officer of the house of God. So the house of God had a chief officer. And Adiah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Pashur, the son of Makalajah, and Maasiah, the son of Adil, the son of Jazariah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Meshulamith, the son of Emer. Besides their kinsmen, heads of their fathers' houses, 1,760 mighty men for the work of the service of the house of God. So God's house was the priority upon return. They were thrown out of Israel because of their unfaithfulness to God. When they come back, the priority is God's house. Of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashbub, the son of Azrikam, the son of Hashbabiah, the son of the sons of Merai, Bakbakar, Heshresh, Galal, and Mathaniah, the son of Mikra, son of Zikri, son of Asaph. And Obadiah, the son of Shemaiah, son of Galal, son of Jaduthun. And Barakiah, the son of Asa, son of Echelnah, who lived in the villages of the Netophites. The gatekeepers were Shalom, Akub, Talmon, Ahiman, and their kinsmen. Shalom was the chief. Until then, they were in the king's gate on the east side as the gatekeepers of the camps of the Levites. Shalom, the son of Kor, bore Ebeshath, son of Korah, and his kinsmen of his father's house. The Korites, who were in charge, the Korites, who were in charge of the work of the service, 
keepers of the threshold of the tent, as their fathers have been in charge of the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. And Panias, the son of Eleazar, was chief officer over them in time past. The Lord was with him. And here's a beautiful truth. <laughs> wow. The Lord was with him. Zechariah, the son of Meshlemiah, was gatekeeper at the entrance of the tent of meeting. All these who were chosen as gatekeepers at the thresholds were 212. They were enrolled by genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel the seer established them in their office of trust. So they and their sons were in charge of the gates of the house of the Lord, that is, the house of the tent, as guards. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south. Now notice, the house of the tent, remember, the tent's gone. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south, and their kinsmen who were in the villages were obligated to come in every seven days in turn to be these. For the four chief gatekeepers who were Levites were entrusted to be over the chambers and the treasurers of the house of God, and they lodged around the house of God. For on them lay the duty of watching, and they had charge of opening it every morning. So these would be responsible for God's assets, for the assets of the temple, for the assets of God's house. Some of them had charge of the utensils for servants, for they were required to count them when they were brought in and taken out. All right, so no stealing, no souvenirs to go home. Okay, so they had to count them. So how, how do you keep integrity? You count things. Others of them were appointed over the furniture and over the holy utensils, also over the fine flour, the wine, the oil, the incense, and the spices. Others of the sons of the priests preparing the mixture of spices. And Methathiah, one of the Levites, the firstborn of Shalom, the Korite, was entrusted with making the flat cakes. Also, some of their kinsmen of the Kohathites had charge of the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. Now, these, the singers, okay, now here we have the singers. The heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites were in the chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. They were to be singing day and night. These were the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, according to their generations, leaders. These lived in Jerusalem. In Gibeon lived the father of Gibeon, Jael, and the name of his wife was Ma'aka. And his firstborn son, Abdon, then Zur, Kish, Baal, near Nadab. Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. And Mikloth was the father of Shimaam. And these also lived opposite their kinsmen in Jerusalem with their kinsmen. Nair fathered Kish, Kish fathered Saul, Saul fathered Jonathan, Malki, Shu, Abinadab, and Ishbal. And the son of Jonathan was Merib Baal, and Merib Baal fathered Micah. And the sons of Micah, Pithon, Melech, Teriah, and Ahaz. And Ahaz fathered Jara, and Jara fathered Alimeth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. And Zimri fathered Moza, and Moza fathered Benaiah, and Rephaniah was his son, Elisha his son, Azal his son. Ezel had six sons, and these were their names, Azrakam, Bakuru, Ishmael, Sariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These are the sons of Azil. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishu, the sons of Saul. 
And the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was wounded by the archers. Now, I want you to notice, Saul saw his sons die. You wonder why he didn't fight harder to live? He saw Jonathan, Abinadab, Malkishu. He saw them die. You know, some people wonder why why did, did Saul want to die with his wounds? I believe it was far more than just he didn't want to be toyed with by these people. He saw his sons die. His hope for the future was gone. Verse 3. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died. Thus Saul died, he and his three sons, and all his house died together. So the path is clear for David to succeed as king. All the sons died together. All his house died together. All those who were next in line for the throne. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him, and they took his head. Uh, this, this is nasty. They stripped him. I mean, they, they, they took him naked. And they took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. So they reported to demons and people. You ever thought about that? The good news to their demons. And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. Remember Dagon? This is the demon that kept falling down before the Ark of the Covenant. But when all Jabesh-Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, what did they hear what had been done to Saul? They'd stripped him, they took his head, they took his armor, they fastened his head on the temple of Dagon. All the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons. Now, where did they take them from? They were mounted on the walls of Bethshan, the place where Manasseh used to live, remember? And they brought them to Jabesh, and they buried their bones under the oak at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So Saul died for a, his breach of faith. Why? Loss of life. He died for breach of faith. His unfaithfulness to God. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, and he also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore the Lord put him to death and turned over the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. Now, why? Why did God do such a severe thing? Saul's actions. He broke faith. He did not ask God for guidance. He went to demons 
for guidance. That's strong. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time. In, oh, let me just throw this in there. This is why you don't go to the quack doctors. This is why you, you don't go to, to you know, the demon stuff on the streets in Quiapo. If you need guidance, if you need to know what to do, go to God. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 26, verse 12. Paul is on trial. It's been two years now, but he's beginning to get to the end of his time in Caesarea. It's been a golden cage, but it's still a cage. His friends have been able to bring him whatever he wanted. He's had some freedoms. But now he stands before not just Festus, but King Agrippa and his wife. And he's preaching his sermon to them. He said, in this connection, as he continues his testimony, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. <laughs> I love that. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, <laughs> you, you fall in the presence, all right? You fall in the presence. When I had fallen to the ground, when we had all fallen to the ground, he and everybody who was with him, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus says the most amazing thing. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, the goad is like a sharp metal stick, the sharp piece of metal on the end of a stick, or sometimes the whole thing is a piece of steel, and you, you stick it in the butt of a donkey to get it moving. It's a little unpleasant. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, like a donkey would kick back because he didn't like getting pricked to make him go because donkeys are stubborn. He said, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, that tells you this is what Paul had been experiencing spiritually. I wonder for how long God kept poking him. I wonder if the poking was happening at the trial of Jesus. The poking was happening at the trial of Stephen. The poking was happening as Stephen was stoned to death and he stood there as the official witness for the Sanhedrin. He said, you know, I cast my vote. I cast my vote against Stephen as a member of the Sanhedrin. You wonder how long he'd been kicking against the pricks. God was poking him with the truth, and he was fighting back against the truth. Oftentimes you'll find somebody before salvation become almost hostile, okay, because they're kicking against the pricks. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. In other words, Paul, everything you do to the people, you're doing to me. So persecution touches Jesus. When I think of our friends in China, our friends in Nigeria, our friends in Nepal, when I think of our friends in India, and I think of the persecution that is happening against them, I know that Jesus is feeling everything they're feeling. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Okay, appearances, theophanies, 
are for a purpose. God doesn't just appear just because he likes to pop in and out of people's lives. A theophany, a physical manifestation of the presence of God, a theophany is for a purpose. This purpose was to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen, you have seen in me, and to those in which I will appear to you. Wow. Now, I want you to see something. Jesus had been revealing himself to Paul. You have seen past tense. See, when people are being touched by God, moving them toward salvation, they are having encounters with God. There's things happening that God is showing them and those in which I will appear to you. He said, listen, there's going to be future experiences. Delivering you for, from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. All right, so this, this is calling to ministry and salvation. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. All right, here is the purpose of salvation. To open their eyes, turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The fivefold purpose of salvation. That's just, got to be careful or I'll start preaching on some of this. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, you know, the last 30 plus years of my life, this is exactly what I have done. But declared first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles. All right, so he said, I started in Damascus, I went to Jerusalem, I went to Judea, I went to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. All right, here is the proof of salvation by lifestyle. Oh, that'll preach. There are people today, that they want to love Jesus, but they don't want to repent. They want to love Jesus, but they don't want to perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. In other words, there is a proof of salvation by our lifestyle change. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. <laughs> I love that. I, I just, I just, I just adore that. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Some of you need to write that on your refrigerator door. Some of you need to put that as the screensaver on your, your computer. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Wow. I have to look at that and say, yeah, me too, Lord. All these years from the time I got saved, day before my 18th birthday, 64 years now, old now. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Oh, if I'm not careful, I'm going to burst into song here in a minute. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Beloved, you're never going to be perfect. 
but you can achieve what God wants you to achieve because to this day, you have had the help that comes from God. Oh, may the Holy Ghost make that a revelation in your heart today. I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So the gospel is an old message. It's revealed in what we call the Old Testament. It's not a new message. It's not a new message. That Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim life both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. All right, so these people knew Paul's intellectual heritage. They knew that Paul was no lightweight. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words, all right? The words of a man of God. True and rational words. I like that. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak very boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I know Paul. <laughs> Paul makes his salvation appeal. <laughs> like Paul. <laughs> I got one shot at that. Hey, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? <laughs> King Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God, not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Once the appeal goes to Caesar, they can't make any decisions about him or forfeit their own lives. Chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustine cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship from a Dromtheum, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and let him go to his friends and be cared for. This is the favor of God. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, across the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandria ship, a ship of Alexandria, sailing for Italy and put us on board. Now, this would be a ship carrying grain from Egypt. 
This would be the fastest ship. Okay, this would be the fastest. Fastest ship to get them to Rome. Now tomorrow I'm going to put the map up and walk you through this whole journey and let you see it on, see, let you see it on the map. But today I just want you to see this ship from Alexandria. This will be the fastest ship. It's carrying foodstuffs to, to Rome. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sindus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lasia. Since much time had passed and the ship was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Now, this is logical. Logical, but not right. Folks, when you're in the middle of a storm, you need to know who to listen to. In a storm, who to listen to? Now, Paul may not be an expert pilot, he had no money invested in the ship or the cargo. But he did know God. Sometimes as a pastor, I'll sit down with a business person and I'll say, you know what, in the middle of this storm, may I suggest, it's not my job to control anybody, and I tell people, listen, you need to pray, my name's not Jesus. But there are times that God will give perceptions. Notice. God gives perception. There are times that God will give perceptions to a man of God. And when a man of God says something to you, not trying to control you because that's not our place, but when a man of God has a perception says, listen, you know, may I suggest something? You need to learn to listen. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided, okay, not what God said, what the majority said, to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. All right, so, you know, forgive me, everything was logical about this. Everything was logical about this. It just wasn't the right decision. And we'll see tomorrow on this journey, they got in a lot of trouble and they lost the ship and they lost all the cargo because they wanted to listen to the majority. The harbor wasn't suitable. It wasn't going to be a nice place to spend the winter. The pilot thought he knew what was right. The owner of the ship who owned the ship thought what he was right. But a man of God had a perception. Sometimes it's better to listen to a man of God who's not trying to control you but just makes a suggestion. All right. Let's turn to Proverbs for just a little bit of wisdom today before we close out. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my command within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek her like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then 
You will understand the fear of the Lord, respect for God, and find the knowledge of God. You'll understand the respect of God, and you'll find the knowledge of God. If, if, if a heart that cries out for spiritual understanding. All right, we're going to see you tonight. Brother John again will be ministering. Please feel free to go to the Cathedral of Praise website and download your free copy of Rich God, Poor God. It's just a free thing. So all we ask is that you sign up and take it out. And then listen to the teachings this week and next week and grow your faith to receive your harvest. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.